You are listening to a Cold Lake Community Church podcast. We hope today's message inspires you. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families connect. Well, titled the message today is Power Source. When we were in Kelmar Church, we had a children's program called Power Source. It was a very successful program. Well, this is Pentecost Sunday. Not a denominational celebration. It's celebrating when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the early church. In fact, many theologians refer to it as when the church was actually begun, the Christian church. And it was an endowment of power, ability to do the work of the ministry. It wasn't for exhibition. It wasn't to broadcast how holy I am or how holy you are. A demonstration of power. And this same power that Jesus operated in while on this earth is still available today. The Holy Spirit is the power source. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit, went and with power and went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. God was with him. God's plan for his church is that we would minister with this same Holy Spirit power. Something more than just natural ability. Jesus knew that his disciples who were just, had just been commissioned to go into the world and preach the gospel. That if they were going to do that, they needed to do it with power, with ability, far beyond their natural abilities. Jesus came to earth as a man, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. The first 30 years of his life was as natural as it is for you and me. He was a carpenter, plied his trade. No one knew very much about him. Although he was God in the flesh, he laid aside his godly attributes to become a man just like you and me. He felt like us. He was tempted like us as a man. The Bible said he was in all things tempted, just like you and I. 
but he didn't sin. All this so that he could demonstrate how a human being can live and please God in these bodies that we walk around in. These temples, these houses that our Holy Spirit, that our spirit dwells in and the Holy Spirit also dwells in us. The Bible declares Jesus Christ, our Savior, to be the eternal word. John 1 verse 14 says, The word became flesh, or human, he became human, and made his home among us, and he was full of unfailing love. The faithfulness and faithfulness And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. The last three and a half years of his earthly ministry was lived in the power of the Holy Spirit. He was baptized by John, an example for every Christian to follow. He wasn't a baby. He was... 30 years of age, approximately. When he came to John, who was baptizing, and he said, John, baptize me. And John, having revelation by the Holy Spirit, said, "Uh uh-uh, not me baptize you, you should be baptizing me. And Jesus said, no, let's fulfill the scriptures here. Let's fulfill righteousness. Let's let the people know because I am here for an example. And so he was a complete example, even to the point of baptism, water baptism. It's a personal step of obedience followed by the Father's approval. Matthew 3, verse 16 and 7 says, After after his baptism, Jesus came up out of the water. They didn't splash water on him. They immersed him. The heavens were opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly beloved Son who brings me great joy. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, we know the story. Immediately he was, went, went into the wilderness and he was there for 40 days and 40 nights, fasting, preparing for the ministry that the Father had called him to do. We see here the importance of obedience. The Holy Spirit is given to those who obey. Acts 5.32 tells us that. John chapter 16, verse 7, Jesus said, It is best for you 
that I go away. Because if I do, don't go away, the advocate, the Holy Spirit won't come. If I go away, then I will send him to you. You see, the Holy Spirit was to take over where Jesus left off. And God's plan was that the church would be the ones that would spread the gospel news and that the church would grow through that. But the Holy Spirit's role would be that he would empower us human beings to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. John the Baptist said, Concerning Jesus, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now we've got a whole lot of different beliefs in the churches, and even in our church. But I want to tell you, if anyone can tell me that this is not real and this is not for the day, they're too late. I've already experienced it. Maybe if you had told me before I experienced it, maybe, maybe I would have believed you. But now I've experienced it. It's real. It's powerful. It makes the difference in your life. Without the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I could never be a pastor. Some of you could get along real fine in your, with your own natural abilities, but I didn't have those. It was the anointing of the Holy Spirit about my life that caused me to be a man that would go and preach the gospel and teach and counsel people in the ways of righteousness. I've got nothing to brag about for myself. It's what God can do in me and through me. And what he can do in me and through me, he can do through anyone else. The same Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost and is available to fulfill the Great Commission and transform people's lives then and now. We are commissioned to go. That's my first point. During the disciples' training and mentoring period, Jesus sent them out to preach and to teach and perform miracles. They weren't ready for the big job yet. But a part of their training was to go out and to preach and to heal just as he was doing. They had a lot of things to learn. So first, he sends out the 12, the 12 disciples. In Luke chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, one day Jesus called together his 12 disciples and gave them power and authority to cast out all demons and to heal all diseases. And then he sent them out to tell everyone about the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. When you've got a commission from the Lord, 
No matter how weak you feel, no, how, no matter how inadequate you feel, if God tells you to do it, you can do it. There is nothing can stop you but you yourself. If you will believe, I can do all things to Christ who strengthens me. After these 12 finished their task in training, Jesus sent out 70. And you can read about that in chapter 10. I'm not going to take the time to go through that part. But they came back and they were rejoicing. Even the demons are subject to us. They were healing the sick. They were casting out demons. Opening the eyes of the blind. Just like Jesus was doing. Because they had authority from Jesus. He sent them out. And finally, after his resurrection, and before he ascends to the Father in heaven, Jesus sends out all of his followers and we are included in this. We know it as the Great Commission. When Jesus commissioned the church to go forth, to go into all the world and preach the gospel. In Mark, we find it in Mark chapter 16, verses 15 to 18. And then he told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved. But anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. These miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They will cast out demons in my name. They will speak in new, new languages. They will be able to handle snakes and safely and if they drink and eat poisonous thing, it won't hurt them. They will be able to place their hands on the sick, and they will be healed. That is the promise, that is the commission that God gave to the church. Now that's not the tag that's over the door. That's the church. We are members of his body. His body is the church. That is a promise to you and I. That is a commission that we have. We can do these things. All oh, for years, pastors' phones would ring off the hook every conceivable hour of the night. We're in trouble. Come and pray for us. But Christians are coming to know that they've got power with God. And they're realizing that the same Holy Spirit that is in the pastor is in them as well. And they're laying hands on the sick and seeing them recover. There is nothing all of the works of Satan can be conquered 
because Jesus is in you by his Holy Spirit. We sometimes sing an old song, Spring up, O well, within my soul. Stir up the gift that is in you. There are dozens of you here in this uh, uh, this room this morning who has been filled with the Holy Spirit. You haven't done a thing with it since you've got it. You spoke in tongues a few times when it was new. And now you don't even do that. And God has given us this precious gift not to say, I've got it, I've got it, I've got it. But to use it for his honor and for his glory. My second point, Jesus wants his church to go with power. We are not to be looked at as the weaklings of society. We've got the power source. We're plugged in to the power source. We need Holy Spirit power to be effective in sharing the good news. Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5 says, Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in a few days from now, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. He continues in verse 8, the purpose for waiting for the promise. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That includes Coal Lake. Amen? I believe that the 120 that were waiting in the upper room didn't really know what to expect. All they knew was that Jesus told them to wait for the promise. They got together, they prayed, and they waited, and they waited, and they waited. Ten days went by. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the whole place. They didn't know what to expect. There was no template, no study guide, no videos. Just wait. Jesus said, wait. Acts 2, verse 1 and 4. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like a roaring of a mighty windstorm. It filled a house where they were sitting. And then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present, 
everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. And some people say, well, that's nice. They needed that to start the church. But we're well established now, so we don't need that. Hogwash. Don't believe it. We need the Holy Spirit now as much or more than they needed it then. A lot of people don't understand the significance of being filled. There are some educated Bible scholars who stumble over this. Some of them, I really, I really admire them, and I use a lot of their material. But when they open their mouth to talk about the Holy Spirit, move on to the next chapter. Because they got it so messed up. You're just going to be a weakling as a Christian if you believe that stuff. I have experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit, so I know that it's real. Someone has said a man with an experience is not at the mercy of a man with an argument. You can argue all you like. You can talk all you like. Too late. I've got it. We need a refreshing, though. No good to say, I got baptized in the Holy Spirit 20 years ago. Are you still filled? Are, or are you as dry as last, last year's hay? We need a refreshing. I'm not talking about tongues. I don't care if I ever heard anyone speak in tongues in church anymore. I'm not talking about that. Just think of the many gifts and the benefits the whole body for the whole body of Christ when you are filled with the Holy Spirit. Now Paul said, I, I thank God that I talk with tongues more than you all. And it's a wonderful gift. And I use it just about every day in my prayer life. And I use it in worship. When everybody is praising God and you can't hear me, I'm, I'm praying in tongues up here. It's good for you. My third point, Jesus wants his church to be rich in gifts of the Holy Spirit. Spiritual gifts are given to be shared for the benefit of the whole church. You hear me? For the whole church. It will keep the body of believers healthy, both physically and spiritually. It will multiply the number of people added to the church as well. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one so that all may profit. That's what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 to 10 says, A spiritual gift is given to each one of us so that we can help each other. To one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice, wisdom. To another, the same Spirit gives a message of special knowledge, the gift of knowledge. The same Spirit gives great faith, the gift of faith, to another and to someone else, 
The one spirit gives the gifts of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles and another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the spirit of God or from another spirit. Still, another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages, while another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. Folks, God planned this. And if you will follow God's plan, it is an awesome, awesome thing to be filled with the Spirit and to be part of a Spirit-filled church. Now, we break down the gifts mentioned here in this section for clarity. There are nine gifts. And so we've broken them down into, in the, in the theolo theological world into three, uh, three groups. First is the communication gifts, which are prophecy, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. They're referred to as the communication gifts. Then there's knowledge gifts, the word of wisdom, and the word of knowledge, and the discerning of spirits. And then there's the power gifts, which is classified as faith, gifts of healings, and working of miracles. And all of these gifts are to benefit the church, to benefit believers, to help to increase the family of God, to expand the kingdom of God. So my fourth point is this. I asked the question, so what about speaking in tongues? To correctly understand the gift of speaking in tongues, we must realize that there are two, basically two different kinds of speaking in tongues mentioned in the Bible. Tongues as a gift of the Holy Spirit, first of all, in which God speaks to the church. And when God speaks to the church, that is, for example, if Effie stood up and gave a word in tongues this morning, there would be somebody that would interpret what she said. And if there is nobody to interpret, Effie is to pray that she would interpret herself and give the interpretation. If it happened that nobody in the congregation had an interpretation for what she, what she said in tongues, and Effie didn't have it, she is to remain quiet with regard to speaking in tongues in the church until such time as the Lord gives her the gift of interpretation. And so what goes for Effie goes for every one of us in this building. Now, a lot of people don't understand that, and they think, well, you know, like if, if anyone speaks in tongues, there's got to be an interpretation. That's not necessarily so. But if anyone speaks out, brings attention to themselves in speaking in tongues, then there has to be an interpretation. No ifs, ands, and buts about it. 
Now, someone will also say, well, does that mean that, that what she said wasn't of God? No, doesn't mean that, but it do mean that she's out of order. Because God's church calls for order. Okay. Now, I've been known since I've been these 16 years in Colette Community Church, uh, sometimes messing up when I try to explain something. So I want to be quite clear to you today, okay? So, all right. Spiritual gifts are to strengthen and to build up and to edify the church. So if Effie just gave the, the, the message in tongues and there's no interpretation, that's not going to build up the church. You don't know what God is saying to the church. So basically, we have to decide that, well, since there's no interpretation and since she can't interpret either, she was worshiping God, praying to God in a language when she should have been quiet. Speaking to ourselves and in, in, in spiritually to herself and not to the people. Do you understand that now? Listen, folks. If there's something I say about this that you don't understand, would you ask me after the service? I'll explain it to you more fully. I'll try to anyway. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 12. And the same is true for you. Since you are so eager to have special abilities, the Spirit gives, seek those that will strengthen the whole church. So anyone who speaks in tongues should pray also for the ability to interpret what is being said. For if I pray in tongues, my spirit is praying, but I don't understand what I'm saying. Unless you get interpretation, when you speak in tongues, you don't know what you're saying. I think many of us Understand that many times when we're praying and praying in tongues, and then you, you, sometimes you get to a place where you're praying, you don't know, you know what you want, but you don't know how to say it. And so you're, you're, you're praying in tongues, and all of a sudden you get a freedom to pray in your own language much more clearer, much more forcefully than you did before you started praying in tongues. And I believe. Now, this is not theological. I mean, you know, like don't, you know, like you've got to form that opinion in your own mind. But, but I believe that what happens is that when I begin to speak in tongues, when I begin to pray in tongues, then I have a better ability to pray in my own language, in my own understanding of what I want to say to God. And there is a great freedom and a great, uh, uh, you know, uh, in that when I do that. And I don't know, I'm sure that many, many of you have already found that out. <clears throat> well then, what shall I do? I will pray with this in the spirit and I will also pray in words I understand. I will sing in the spirit and I will also sing in words I understand. For if you praise God only in the spirit, how can those who don't understand you praise God along with you. 
How can they join in giving thanks when they don't understand what you're saying? You will be giving thanks very well, but it won't strengthen the people who hear you. Always think about your brothers and your sisters. We don't want our church to become a bless me club where everyone is getting all excited and, and speak, everyone is speaking in tongues all the one time and, and there are people that are coming in that we love and we want them to know God in a real way, but they haven't no any idea of what's happening here. And so we want to follow God's direction in having unity in the body of believers. Amen? So Paul's solution is this. When you are exercising the spiritual gift of tongues in a public setting, pray for the interpretation so that the church can be encouraged. And if you do not have faith to interpret, keep quiet. You understand that? And let me say something else. Sort of a housekeeping time today, so might as well get it all on the table. If you have the gift of speaking in tongues and you're using it in the church, don't sit down in the back there somewhere and start speaking in tongues, worshiping even in tongues during the service when there are people around you that are visiting and don't know anything about, about that. Have respect for your visitors and get as close to the front as you can. If there's room on our seat, come and sit beside me and I'll join in worship with you. But you see, we want to do things decently and in order. We're a Pentecostal church and we could say, oh, well, shouldn't matter where you, where you do. Yes, it does matter. It matters because we've got people coming in. We have Visitors every Sunday morning. There are people who, some of them, never been in church before. And we want to respect them as well. So that's why Paul gave that tremendous instruction in the word. So that there would be, things would be done decently and in order. Tongues as a prayer language in this sense we are speaking to God, okay? We're speaking to God. The other way is God is speaking through that person to the people. Our prayer language is we are speaking to God. And so 1 Corinthians 14, 1 to 4, Paul says, let love be your highest goal, but you should also desire the special abilities the Spirit gives especially the ability to prophesy. And there are guidelines for prophecy as well. I'll get to that in just a second, just before we close here. And uh, let love be your highest goal, but you should also desire the special ability, uh, abilities of the Spirit, especially the ability to prophesy. For if you have the ability to speak in tongues, you will be talking only to God, since people won't be able to understand you. You will be speaking by the power of the Spirit, 
but it will all be mysterious. But one who prophesies strengthens others, encourages them, and comforts them. A person who speaks in tongues is strengthened himself, personally. But one who speaks a word of prophecy strengthens the entire church. All believers can exercise this gift of the Holy Spirit, but it is best used in your private life. It is best used, unless God has given you a message for the congregation, it is best used in your private life. Now, we, we do agree with doing, when we got worship service going on, and like I said, everyone who's going to be uh, uh, speaking in tongues, you need to be closer to the front. Okay? And I hope you understand that. And if there's something wrong with that, if you've got, if you've got, a, got a, a quickening in your spirit and you're feeling a little bit angry because I said that, then you need to do something. You need to get on your knees before God and say, Lord, help, help me. Help me to have a good, a compassionate spirit for my brothers and my sisters in Christ. Bet I'm going to get some emails tomorrow. <laughs> it is acceptable in worship and prayer meeting, but never drawing attention to yourself. You then must follow the proper order. We must flow with the Holy Spirit to be decent and in order. 1 Corinthians 4, 14, verses 27 to 33. No more than two or three should speak in tongues. They must speak at one, one at a time, and someone must interpret what they say. But if no one is present who can interpret, they must be silent in your church meeting and speak in tongues to God privately. We are also given clear instruction for prophecy as well. And here's what it says. 1 Corinthians 14, 29 to 33. Let two or three people prophesy. Okay? Two or three. And let the other, others evaluate what is said. But if someone is prophesying and another person receives a revelation from the Lord, the one who is speaking must stop. In this way, all who prophesy will have a turn to speak one after the other so that everyone will learn and be encouraged. Remember that the people who prophesy are in control of their spirit and can take turns. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the meetings of God's holy people. And I remember when I was a boy hearing people say when the Holy Spirit come upon them and they couldn't control themselves. That's not quite so. It's just bad teaching, okay? You're in control of what you do. Okay, so conclusion. This is what you were waiting for, that word conclusion. And it's going to be a short one today. Uh, and uh, uh, I'm going to get down off the, off the pulpit now for the conclusion and let the uh, musicians get back here. So, guys...
Paul's teaching on order in worship is never intended that our worship will become so structured and rigid that, uh, that uh, there's no room for the moving of the Holy Spirit. That's not what that's all about. There's going to come times, and I hope it comes, when the Holy Spirit will move and Pastor Hayward won't be preaching that morning or Pastor Mark won't be preaching that moment, that morning because God is doing something. We are wide open to what God wants to do. But we want to be very, very particular about not allowing the flesh to overrule the spirit. We want to be led by the Spirit, not by the flesh. When we operate under the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit, sometimes that power can make you shout. It can make you clap your hands. Well, make you want to, okay? You don't force you to do that. Don't get me wrong. I've got to be politically correct in everything I say. You just get that desire in your heart. You want to stand. You want to raise your hands. You want to clap your hands. You want to shout. Okay? You want to dance. When God is doing something in your life, folks, don't hold back. Don't say, oh my, I'd like to really go up front right now and dance, but you know, I know Pastor Eastman wouldn't want me to do that. If Pastor Eastman has is, is got that much control over this service, then Pastor Eastman should get out of the way. The Holy Spirit is the one that is leading this church. And if we don't let him do it, we are going to be a has-been. We're going to be talking about the ashes of the past. Instead of, instead of the fire that is here now and is coming. Let's not be content with past spiritual experiences. We need fresh fire, a fresh move of the Holy Spirit. Let's contend for that. We need revival now. We need to turn back to God as a body of believers. We need to fill the prayer room once more. This church, we've got some great intercessors. But we've got a pitiful showing when it comes to prayer meeting on Wednesday night. It is pitiful for a church, a spirit-filled church. And so... That's all I need to say about that. You've got it. There's a song we used to sing, and I've asked Gordon them to sing it, and they're going to do a good job of it. You can stand with him and just, let's just praise the Lord before we leave this place. It's called Send the Fire. Thou Christ, the burning, cleansing flame, send the fire. Thy blood-bought gift today we claim, send the fire. Look down and see this waiting host. Give us the promised Holy Ghost. 
We want another Pentecost. Send the fire. Send the fire. And folks, if you've got in your mind what Pentecost was like back 50 years ago, forget it. God is doing a new thing. It's not going to look like it did in the past. It's going to be something different, but it's going to be something that's going to cause us to come alive and cause our churches to be filled again. God of Elijah, hear our cry. Send the fire. To make us fit to live or die, send the fire. To burn up every trace of sin and let the light and glory in. The revolution now began. Send the fire. If we want the power that God has promised at the last, we won't find it in the ashes of the past. It's a new day. It's a new thing. And let's be open to what God wants to do. God is doing a new thing. Expect a new and a fresh move of the Holy Spirit. Let's all stand together and let's worship the Lord. Amen. You have been listening to Cold Lake Community Church Podcast. We hope that you've been blessed by this teaching from Cold Lake Community Church. Thank you for your continued support of this ministry. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families connect.